Welcome to the weekly podcast from Harvest Ridge Church in North Ridgeville, Ohio. Our heart's desire is that you would grow in your love and devotion to Jesus Christ and that these messages will strengthen your daily walk. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at www.harvestridge.net. Morning, Harvest Ridge. Oh, good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? It's great to be with you. My wife, Becky, and I have been looking forward to this for quite a while. Becky, why don't you stand? 42 years of marriage, ministry, and mission together. Thank God it just keeps getting better every year. And uh, it's great to be with you this morning. It's hard to believe, I was just thinking about this, that it's 16 years ago this week that Becky and I left a church that we loved, a church that we planted, a church that we never thought we would leave, to go full-time into world missions. Now, 20 nations later, over 300 young adults that have spent between three months and four years of their lives with us on short-term mission assignments and through Agora College, uh, we have seen over 300 young adults invested in the nations to the glory of God. And we're more passionate than ever today to see this emerging generation engage and make a difference in the global work of God. That's our passion. That's our call. Over the last 10 years, we've been working in the nation of Columbia. How many of you know not the safest place on the planet, all right? And we work with tribal groups, over 80 tribal groups in the nation, uh, travel uh, tent and sleeping bag from the Andes, the Amazon, training, training tribal church planters, and working with young Colombians called to the tribes. Do I look like a tent and sleeping bag guy to anybody out there? Come on. Okay, after what, 50 plus years, Royal Rangers is finally paying off. So here we are, uh, and working with these young Colombians, being uh, coaches, trainers, spiritual parents to them. Uh, one young lady named Betty, uh, late 20s, uh, over time she would learn five tribal dialects, leading a team of young adults deep into the Amazon among three tribes never reached with the gospel before, the Leituama, the Makuna, the Tanimuka. And this, this young lady, Becky found, Betty, found herself uh, among the Makuna, and ironically, she was sharing John 3, 16, the gospel with a young man named Juan. And when she, as she's talking to Juan, uh, and Juan is listening to the story of Jesus for the first time in his life, he says, excuse me, Betty, um, how long ago did this man die? Betty said, oh, it's been over 2,000 years. As she continues, excuse me, Betty, did he die for me too? Of course he did, Juan, why do you ask? Betty, do you mean to tell me a man died for me and no one has ever told me why? Isn't that the million dollar question today, folks? 2,000 years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, still over 7,000 unreached people groups on our planet with no church in their language and on their soil where people could find Jesus even if they wanted to. 2,000 years later, 86% of Buddhists, Hindus, and Muslims have never even met a follower of Jesus. 2,000 years later, 24 people every minute go into eternity without ever hearing the name of Jesus one time. Tribes and tongues, the never reached. I'm happy to report that Juan and seven of his friends found Jesus on that trip with Betty and her team. They were baptized and praise God. Today, praise is going to the throne of God in the Makuna language for the very first time. Hallelujah. But here we are. Yeah, amen. You can clap on that. 
Tribes and tongues that never reached. That was the call and the conviction of the Apostle Paul. He said, it's, I'm all about preaching Christ where he's never been heard, preaching, preaching Christ where he's not known. And that takes us in our study in the book of Romans, the Romans chapter 15, and the 10 verses at the heart of this chapter, Romans 15, verses 15 through 24. Can we put those on the screen, please? We have it? Yeah, I'll just read it off the screen. Yet, as I've written quite boldly on some points, remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, the never reached. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, uh, by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who are not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I've often been hindered from coming to you. But now there's no more place for me to work in these regions. And since I've been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through to have you assist me on my journey there after I've enjoyed your company for a while. Father, thank you for your powerful word. Father, thank you that you, your word says of itself that it's good seed. Father, I ask today that the good seed of your word would find good soil in our hearts, that because of our time together, there will be a great harvest in and through our lives, 100-fold to the glory of God. Holy Spirit, you're the ultimate teacher in the room today, far beyond where my human words can reach. May you bring your transforming truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In Romans 15, Paul is pivoting from uh, arguably the most in-depth teaching in the New Testament in the first 14 chapters of the book of Romans, and he's pivoting to a revelation. He is showing his great missionary heart that God has put inside him. If the book of Acts tells his story, then Romans 15 reveals his passion. If the book of Acts displays his courage in the face of danger at every turn as he takes the gospel where it's never been before, Romans 15 reveals his singular focus. His second missionary journey began with a simple desire to return to Asia. He wanted to go back to the churches they had started on the first journey, and he wanted to press in a little bit further into Asia. And if you were a part of Apostle Paul's little band and team at that time, you know, and you're walking with him, you're falling from the day, for him for days, and then Paul would suddenly say, no, this isn't it. we got to go this way. And, and they'd go that way for a while, and Paul said, no, this isn't it. Spirit's, and it was like, no, no, no. And you would have been saying, Paul, will you get your act together? We're tired of following you around in this wilderness. We just hear from God so we know where we're supposed to go. And at that time in the night, he has a vision, Acts 16, man from Macedonia saying, come over and help us. And Paul knew in that vision when that man from Macedonia in that dream said, come over and help us, that that help meant one thing. It was the help and the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they would go to Macedonia. They would pioneer missions in Europe. The gospel goes to Europe for the very first time. And the church is planted in three cities. Three churches are established. And all three times, he and his team are run out of town on a rail. But the church survives. 
And from there, he goes on to Athens, that great city and the learned atmosphere. And he's on Mars Hill with, with, with the leaders and the philosophers of that great city. And, and they're hearing his defense. And he's talking about the tomb to the unknown God. You've got so many monuments and idol worship. You don't even know them all. Let me tell you about this God that you don't know. And he shares the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he gets to the point where he talks about the resurrection. And the Bible says this, when they heard the resurrection, some just laughed in his face. And some said, maybe we'll hear a little bit more later, but some believed. Some laughed, some said maybe later, but some believed. And folks, I want to tell you today, 21st century America, we got to be okay with that. Some may laugh, some may say later, but some will believe. And we can't shriek back from living for Jesus and sharing his story, even though some may laugh at us, some are going to believe. Some are going to believe. Paul, as Paul headed to Corinth, left Athens. He did not plant a church in Athens, but he would have no idea that Dionysus, one of those leaders that he spoke to, uh, who became a believer that day, that one day Dionysus, he had no idea he'd become, one day become the first bishop of the church of Athens. When, when Paul left that day, he had no idea that the great Parthenon, that stood on the Acropolis on Mars Hill, that the Parthenon would one, one day become a church of Jesus Christ. He had no idea when he left that day, no idea that to this day, every Good Friday, every flag in Greece is lowered half-mast because of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And to this day, every flag on Easter Sunday morning is raised back up in celebration of the resurrection. Paul had no idea. When you plant seeds of the gospel, you just have no idea what God can do with those seeds. So he's on to Corinth among that Corinthianized population. Well, basically they were sex crazed. It was a sex crazed, lustful city. And he's there for 18 months, and Paul's now in his late 50s. He's been following Jesus for over 25 years. He's packed a lot in in 25 years. And from Corinth, he writes this powerful letter to the Christians in Rome. Rome is a city he's never visited. Rome is not a church that he planted. So because of that, he goes into great detail with his teaching in this book. He writes boldly. And he writes boldly about the gospel. Right from the beginning in chapter 1, we have what I call the three I am statements of the Apostle Paul. We talk about the I am statements of Jesus all throughout the book of John. I'm the way, the truth, and life. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the door. You know, so on and so forth. But in, but in Romans 1, Paul makes these three I am statements in reference to the gospel. And Paul would say, hmm, I'm a debtor. I am a debtor. Because of what Christ has done for me, I'm a debtor to every man, woman, and child on this planet. I'm responsible for the, Christ, for the people that are alive today on planet Earth because of what Jesus has done for me. I'm a debtor. But he didn't stop there. Number two, he said, I'm not ashamed. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, to the Jew first and then to the Greek. But I love the third one. I am a debtor, I'm not ashamed, and I am eager. I love that. 
I am eager to bring the gospel, the good news, to the you who are in Rome also. I am eager to tell the story, to preach the word, to share Jesus in places where I've never been before and where that story has never been told before. I am eager to share with you also. Now we find ourselves in chapter 15. And we find what drives the Apostle Paul as a missionary apostle. First, it was his clear call, his call to what I call the never reached. Second was his singular conviction about the power of the gospel to change hearts and ultimately transform societies. And third, his consuming passion for the glory of God among every tribe, tongue, and people. His clear call we find in verses 15 through 17. I think Paul, as Paul reflects on his past ministry and future plans, he's saying, you know what, it's all because of grace. It's not me. It's not my abilities, it's not my knowledge. It is the grace of God that has allowed me and strengthened me to carry out my ministry these last 25 years. All about, you know, and my favorite definition of grace is simply this, outside help. It's not in me, God. Every, I don't know how many times a day now I find myself just muttering, God, outside help, grace Lord. It's not in me, how about you, huh? Outside help, anybody need outside help on a regular basis to do what God's called us to do, to live the life he's called us to live? Uh, it's not in us, but Paul said, it's because of the grace of God, outside help, that I've accomplished what I have accomplished. He said, uh, therefore, the Gentiles are my offering to God, and I boast only in God's glory and the joy of presenting these tribes, these Gentiles, to Jesus. And as he pens this, I'm, I'm thinking, is he reflecting back on the Damascus Road experience when he talks about the grace of God? He's reflecting back on the call, the words that he heard from Jesus himself on the Damascus Road. You're a chosen instrument of mine. You'll, be, you'll appear before kings and princes. You're going to take my gospel to the Gentiles, the never reach. Is he thinking back to that Damascus Road? road experience. When, according to his writings in Philippians, he said, that's where Jesus got a hold of me. And when Jesus got a hold of Paul, Paul was saying, it wasn't just because I needed to be saved, but I did. And when Jesus got a hold of me, it wasn't just because I was persecuting the church. I was. But when Jesus got a hold of me, he got a hold of me for a purpose. He got a hold of me for a reason. He got a hold of me because he put a call on my life. And he would say, now, here's what I'm all about. He said, I'm laying hold of that for which Christ Jesus is hold, got, laying hold of me. In other words, Jesus got a hold of my life for a reason and a purpose. And I'm all about now grabbing on to that reason why Jesus got a hold of me. And folks, I want to say to every person in this room, and those of you who are streaming in, when God got a hold of you, he got a hold of you for a reason. And he's got a big purpose. And I want to say to every person in this room and to the next generation coming up, please do not dream too small with your life. Because God's got big dreams for you. And he wants to make a big difference through you. Let's lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus laid hold of us. And if, if the nations for Paul were the bullseye, just picture a target, all right? And if the nations and the, those who had never heard, if that was the bullseye, 
Paul saw himself as the tip of that spear being thrown, I'm a lefty, being thrown at that bullseye, all right? And, 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 and if he was the tip of the spear, his team was the, was the arrowhead, all right? And, and the, the spearhead, but it takes more than, how many of you know it's not real accurate just to throw a spearhead? Paul was saying, I'm the tip and my team is the, is the, is the spearhead, but there's got to be a shaft and that shaft is local churches and everybody's hand on that shaft with their assignments and roles. It might be administration. It might be, it might be organization. It might be mobilization. It might be sacrificial giving. It might be uh, deep intercessory prayer for missionaries and tribes and tongues. But when everybody has their hand on that shaft, that spear hits its target. And we begin to reduce that number of 7,000. Whole people groups numbering into the millions that have never heard the name of Jesus. He was the tip of the spear, but he also saw himself as a continuation of that ancient call from God, beginning in Genesis chapter 12 with our father Abraham. Genesis 1 through 11, it's kind of the warm-up of the Bible. It's the introduction. We, we get creation, we get the fall, not as much detail as we'd like, but we get, we, we get the fall, we get the flood, we get the scattering of nations, we get the beginning of the story. But in Genesis 12, God starts his kingdom agenda, his redemption agenda, and he says to Abraham, he says, I'm calling you. He said, I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to make you a blessing. And through you, all the peoples of the world are going to be blessed. And catch this. This is a pattern throughout the word of God. Then the blessing of God comes down on the people of God. That we might be a blessing to the people of our world. That they might taste and see that the Lord is good. That they might in turn respond to Jesus and give him glory. That's the pattern. And, and Paul saw himself as a continuation of this pattern. Genesis 12, it's God on a mission. And me, for me now, all those Bible stories from Sunday school, all those great characters of the Old Testament, and all those moral lessons and character lessons and faith lessons that we can learn from our lives, those are great things. But as I read those Bible stories today, folks, I see a different set of characters in them. I never noticed them before. God has seen them all along because they were the target for him. And that second set of characters in all those stories was the nations of the world. The nations of the world. For God so loved Egypt that he sent Joseph. For God so loved Babylon that he sent Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. For God so loved Persia that he raised up an Esther. For God so loved Nineveh, well, Jonah finally got there, isn't that right? Took three dreams and a vision and a big fish. But God got him there. One missionary said one time, if you take missions out of the Bible, all you got, le all you got left is the covers. If you take mission out of the Bible, all you got left is the covers, all right? Yes, the Bible is 66 books, but it's one story. It's the story of God. It's beyond just wisdom for life. It's the story of God on a mission. And you know what? The Bible's a finished book. Nobody's going to write another book of the Bible. Is that right? They better not try. But the story of God is still being written today. And hear me, every one of us. God wants to write a chapter of his story through your life and through my life and through this church because the story still needs to be written and God is still 
writing the story. For God so loved Egypt, Persia, Babylon, Nineveh, the United States, the nations of the world. So it begs the question, does God's church have a mission? Or does God's mission have a church to accomplish it? That's a fair question today. Paul saw God writing the next chapter of his mission through his life. And he wants to write a chapter in that story of God through you and I. In fact, he would write to the Galatians in Galatians 3.29. He said, if anyone is in Christ, come on, where you at? Who's in Christ today? Aren't you th- come on, who's, aren't you thankful you're in Christ today? Huh? If anyone is in Christ, all right, your heirs, you, you, you are Abraham's seed or Abraham's kids, and you are heirs to the promise. What promise are you and I heirs to today? I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to make you a blessing. And through you, all the peoples of the world are going to taste and see that the Lord is good and return glory to God. That is the promise on our life today. That is the promise on this church. What's the great need today? Folks, we need a whole new wave of pioneer missionaries to go to the places that have never been reached. In the last eight years, Becky and I have been taking student teams into Southeast Asia. Uh, Buddhist world, communist nations. Uh, In Vietnam, uh, we have been working with our missionaries there, and we've been uh, helping them cultivate a vision, training and empowering. This is really a cool vision, all right? 54 tribes in Vietnam that still do not have the gospel. And we've been helping, they're training tribes that have the gospel to reach the tribes around them that don't yet. How cool is that? Training the nearest reach and empowering them and resourcing them to, to reach the never reached. And um, it, just a story came back of, of a, a few young men from one tribe. You know, it's really interesting because as you go into these tribal groups, they'll say, oh, yeah, we know about that tribe. You mean they don't know about Jesus? They don't even know that they don't know. They just... A few men wandered over and just began serving and loving another tribe. Some simple projects in the villages, a little education help, bringing in some simple meds that that tribe didn't have, and for months they just loved and served. This is so cool. One day the communist officials show up. Oh, no. What's going to happen? They said, here, we want you to have these. What are these? These are seven permits to start seven village churches in this province. Communist Vietnam. We know you didn't ask for them, but we like what you're doing. So keep it up, all right? Seven permits. The clear call of Paul was to the never reached. And that call continues on the whole church of Jesus Christ today. It's time for the whole church to take the whole gospel to the whole world. As John Stott said, we must be global Christians with a global vision because our God's a global God. I'm going to say that again, folks. We must be global Christians with a global vision because our God is a global God. And that is the heart of Romans 15. Secondly, Paul had a singular conviction, and his conviction was the power of the gospel. He said, you know, my gospel, as it's gone forth, it's come in word and deed. So with my words and with my actions and with my life and with my serving, word and deed, sign and wonder. Why are signs important? Because, I don't know, a sign always points to something, isn't that right? 
And these signs or attesting miracles pointed to Jesus, validating the message and the messenger. Wonders, what are wonders about? Well, wonders are just basically, you know, um, um, giving expression and amplifying the message. Paul said, word, deed, sign, and wonder. And those wonders got the people's attention. And he said, I've preached the gospel all the way from Jerusalem, all the way around to Illyricum, which is modern day, northern Greece, Albania, the former Yugoslavia on the Adriatic. I, I had a chance to lead several teams uh, when I was a pastor into southern Albania, the poorest of the poor, the most ruthless communist regime in Europe. Almost died there. That's a whole other story we won't talk about today, all right? But Paul said from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, and he said to the Corinthians, he said, in this letter that you've been reading, if you, please, if you don't hear anything else, please get this, 1 Corinthians 15. Of first importance, Paul said, most important thing I can tell you, Jesus died according to the scriptures. He was buried according to the scriptures. He rose from the dead on the third day according to the scriptures. He appeared to over 500 and now he has appeared even to me. The most important thing I can share with you and remind you is the purpose and the power of the gospel to change lives. Paul was a gospel-centric leader. What's the world's greatest need today, folks? We have a lot of needs in our world, but it's not clean water. It's not justice. It's not better education. It's not confronting the evils of human trafficking. I can go on and on. The greatest need in the world today is Jesus. The greatest need in the world today is the gospel of Jesus Christ. As followers of Jesus, we stand on this fact that only his love can change a human heart. It's not more education. It's not better situation. Only his love can turn the heart of a man and a woman. Only his love will ultimately change people that can change a culture, change a city, change a society. And, Jesus, you know, and people come to Jesus. I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing if I didn't believe that we could change the world. But this world is going to change one heart at a time. There's only one power in the universe that can change the human heart, and that is the love of Jesus Christ. The world's greatest injustice for Paul, I believe, this drove him, that people could live their entire lives on planet Earth and die not ever hearing the name of Jesus one time. What greater injustice is there than that. I call it the eternal injustice. For Paul, he knew that all people were equally lost, but he knew also that all people do not have equal access to the gospel. I get this question all the time. Randy, why are you going over there? Aren't there lost people still here in Cleveland? Of course they are. But it's not just about lost people. It's about access over 4 million people on the planet have no access to the story of Jesus, while in this city, people drive by 20 churches in a 10-minute journey. It's not just about lostness. It's about access, and it's about the call of God. It's not just about seeing people saved. Please notice this distinction. It's not just about lost people. It's about lost peoples, nations, tribes, tongues, ethnic groups who have never heard. The gospel was all about, and Paul's call was all about, and the church is all about reaching peoples and not just people. That's why Jesus said you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, 
and you will be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth, reaching peoples until Revelation 7-9, I love it, until Revelation 7-9 is fulfilled, where John the Revelator said that one day around the throne, there'll be people in worship from every nation, tribe, and tongue. What an amazing day that's going to be. That's the goal. So, so you know what? Missions, folks, is like a great big scavenger hunt for Jesus, collecting nation, tribes, and tongues for his glory to, so like Paul, we can present them before his throne as an, as an offering. So until Revelation 7-9 is fulfilled, like Paul, we endeavor to preach where Christ is not known. We, 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 have, a, we have a partner in a communist nation that will go unnamed. We've taken several teams in there. We're working with them. It's only a nation of 6 million people in Southeast Asia, but over 100 unreached people groups in that nation alone. One of our Agora College graduates is a full-time worker now on that team. They pioneered business as mission. You can't get into these countries as missionaries. You have to go in on business visas or education visas covertly to establish the gospel, a beachhead for the church. They started a life center where over 100 tribal junior high and high school kids every day, all day, learn English and life skills. When you go there, the darkness is palpable. The darkness is tangible. Uh, there's a semi-Western restaurant in this town. You'll never find a McDonald's within hours. The name of the restaurant where you can get a hamburger, all right, it's called Bamboozle. And then there's a coffee shop there, hallelujah, it's called Cranky Tees, all right, so we're good. Bamboozle, there's a young man there that I met years ago, and uh, he will go nameless as well. And uh, he, he wanted to learn English, so he was learning English by watching American television and tending bar at Bamboozle. And as he got to know our team of missionaries there and the leader, um, he said, hey, you know, I, I, you, could I ever possibly teach at the Life Center? And his English was getting really, really good. And our friends prayed about it and said, yeah, you know what? It, let's, I think we can make that happen. And so, and so um, he came in and sat in my friend's classes just to see how Westerners do it, all right? And, and my friend started every day by writing a proverb on the board from the book of Proverbs. And this one particular day, the proverb on the board was simply, a good name is to be desired more than great riches. And this young man from Bamboozle looked at that and looked at that. And he said, he said to my friend, you know, he said, that's a really good saying. Where did you get that? He says, oh, I got a whole book of them. <laughs> he said, you do? He said, yeah, in fact, that book is part of a bigger book called the Bible. Have you ever heard of it? No. It tells the story of a man named Jesus. Have you ever heard of him? No. Over time, this young man was loved into the family of God. He was baptized on Easter Sunday morning in an underground church. His fiance is now a follower of Jesus. And when we asked him, what's, what's the best thing Jesus has done for you? He said, he said, the fear's gone. He said, in my animus culture and tribe, so many people at night sleep with the lights on because they believe if the lights are off and it's dark, the spirits come into the house. He said, the fear is gone. 
what we did not know about that young man. God's so good. What we did not know, what he was from a remote tribe up in the mountains where the gospel's never been before. He is the first follower of Jesus ever from his tribe. Hallelujah. And our missionary friend and a couple of Lao pastors and this young man paid a visit to that tribe for a couple of days, just building friendship. And uh, so cool. It, it wasn't, nothing, was, doors weren't opening to share the gospel or anything like that. Or, and, and as the, it, wrapping up their time and sitting at the table, the young man's uncles happened to be the tribal leaders. They're sitting around the table. And this young man leans over to my missionary friend and in English, because they don't understand, he says, do you think I should tell him I'm a Christian? He said, well, if that's what's in your heart to do, go ahead. And this young man just looked across the table at the leaders of his village and he said, we're all Christians on this side of the table. Just blurted it out. That started a six-hour conversation. One of the loud pastors started in Genesis, ended up in the resurrection, and the gospel is being shared in that village, and God is opening doors. We believe this young man is going to be the first pastor ever in his tribe. We believe as he's married, it's, think about this, the first Christian family in his tribe, and ultimately the first church of Jesus Christ is going to be planted in this tribe. Hallelujah. All because of a proverb. And all because of a pioneer family who said, we'll go to the never reached. And all because of the power of the gospel. It was a great missionary, Moffat, who was son-in-law to the great missionary, David Livingston, in Africa, who said, in the vast plain to the north, in the early morning light, I have seen the smoke of a thousand villages where no missionary has ever been. The smoke of a thousand missionaries a smoke of a thousand villages where no missionary has ever been. For the Apostle Paul, the only and ultimate hope of the world was the good news of Jesus Christ. As we press on into Romans 15, we find Paul's consuming passion for the glory of God in verses 21 through 24. Uh, his activity among the never reached and saying so busy, he says, I've been wanting to visit you in Rome, but I haven't been able to get to you because I've been so busy with the never reached. But he says, now I'm coming. He says, I'm just going to be passing through. I'm not going to stay for long. While I'm with you, we can refresh each other. And he says, and I hope you can assist me. How many missionaries say, I hope you can assist me? But Paul's saying that to the church at Rome. He's saying, I hope you can assist me. I hope you can support my ministry. He said, he said, my home base in Antioch is a long, long ways away. He saw Rome as a second base of operations, and he hoped that they would assist him with support, finance, prayer, uh, interpreters. As he pressed on, he said, because, because there's no more work for me in these regions. Thinking, Paul, what are you talking about? Are you saying where you are right now in, in, in southern Greece, there's no more lost people? There's got to be lost people everywhere, Paul. He says, there's no more work for me in these regions because the church is planted here and leaders have been trained here. And the people are being trained to evangelize those around them. And my call is to the never reached. So my work is finished here. I'm, he, said, he said, I'm going to Spain. He'd never get there. 
he would ultimately be beheaded on the Appian Way outside of Rome for his faith to the glory of God. But um, as I read these words, no more work for me left in these regions. I'm going to Spain. It really, really spoke to me over these last couple of months. Here's where I'm at. I'm saying, Lord Jesus, I want to die with a Spain in my heart. When you call me home, I want there to be the next dream in my heart of how I can serve you and bring glory to your name. Lord, I, I want to I die with a Spain in my heart. Lord, I want to live long, I want to die young, and I want to do it all for your glory. How, how good is that? I, I want to live long and die young. Some people are living way too old, way too fast. I want to live long, die young, and, and lay down my life with the next Spain in my heart. Spain, for Paul, because it was never reached. Spain, because Jesus has deserved to receive glory among the people in Spain. It was in the early 1700s, two young men, Dober and Nietzsche, one a carpenter and one a potter. They were a part of a church in Eastern Europe. God gave them a burden for the slaves in the West Indies and the Caribbean. And that just, they just couldn't shake it. And these two young men said, we're called, we got to go. Here was the hitch. They found out that the only way they would allow to be allowed to be missionaries to the slaves of the West Indies was to sign their lives away and become slaves for the rest of their life to live among that population. Now it's time for a big decision. But that's what they did. They signed on the dotted line. They signed away their lives because Jesus receiving glory from the slave population of the West Indies was more important to them than their freedom. The blessings of God had come down on them and they were eager to share those blessings with the never reached in the West Indies that they might taste and see that the Lord is good and return glory and honor to God. Imagine that church send off as they hopped on this massive clipper ship on the docks. The whole church family is gathered and as that boat pulled out into the harbor on 8 October 1732, those two young men yelled from the bow of the boat, the Lamb of God is worthy to receive glory. The Lamb of God is worthy to receive glory. He's worthy to receive the reward of his suffering. He's, he's worthy to receive glory from the never reached of the West Indies. And those were the last words his church family ever heard from them. How did they display such conviction and such courage? Well, they grew up in a mission-focused church. They grew up in a gospel-centric church. The founder of that great movement, the Moravian movement, the, 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 uh, was Count von Zinzendorf. He was a nobleman who found Jesus, and, and he started a church, and he started a permanent. He was so consumed with the gospel and with, with the unreached. He started to catch this. He started a prayer meeting totally dedicated the only prayers that were prayed were about the fulfillment of the Great Commission. That prayer meeting went on without stop 24-7 for over 100 years. No wonder out of that church, one in 12 members of that church would ultimately become full-time missionaries. Wow. 
That was the culture and climate that Dober and Nietzsche grew up in. And, and Count Zinzendorf himself said, I have but one passion. It is he and he alone. It's all about his glory. The world is the field and the field is the world. Henceforth, that country shall be my home where I can be most used in winning souls for Christ. His passion became their passion. The gospel traveled to the West Indies and Jesus received glory from that people group. A year ago, May, Becky and I had just re returned from a month in Southeast Asia with uh, a student team. We spent four weeks overseas with them. It was an incredible time. I remember just sitting up in bed one morning, not too long after our return. I, I shot up, this question was on my mind the moment I woke up. Lord, what's it going to take to finish the work? I felt God's spirit just download three things into my spirit very quickly. It's going to take a whole new wave of pioneers. Secondly, it's going to take a whole new wave of strategic intercession for the nations. And in my heart was, Lord, how do we mobilize 25,000 people to pray for the nations? And the third thing God put in my spirit was, it's going to take the church in North America to become passionate about the glory of God reaching every tribe and tongue again. Whole new wave of pioneers, fresh wave of strategic intercession, and a passion for the glory of God to cover the earth as the water covers the seas. Several weeks later, I got a call from the leader of some of God's missions in Southeast Asia. And he said, Randy, um, I've been praying and God put you on my heart. He said, we need a whole new wave of pioneers. <laughs> and he said, we need 20,000 intercessors. And God began to pivot in my heart and he began to pivot in Agora's ministry to go deeper in his call to the nations, to every tribe and tongue. The Holy Spirit is pivoting us into mobilizing the next generation in ways we never had before to reach nations and to mobilize the church of Jesus Christ to intercede for the nations. It's a clear call as we go forward. It's the next Spain in our heart. Paul had a clear call and responsibility to the nations and folks we do too. Paul had a singular conviction about the power of the gospel and we got to get there and stay there. Paul had a, um, a, a, a passion that Jesus received glory from every nation, tribe, and tongue and God grow that inside of us as his church. Need number one, God raise up a new wave of pioneers to finish the work. Need number two, God raise up your church in great commission and intercession. Need number three, God receive glory that you deserve from every tribe and tongue until Revelation 7-9 is our reality. Worshippers from every nation, tribe, and tongue in worship around the throne. But until that day, folks, I close with this, the story of God is still being written. And the story of God still needs to be written. And he wants to write a chapter through your life. He wants to write a chapter through my life. God has a Spain for you. He has a next dream to put inside of all of us. And until that day, all of us need to be asking the question, God, where does my hand go on the spear? I, I don't doubt in this room and on live stream that God might be stirring in some people's hearts 
about a missionary call. You might think, I don't have any theological training. Do you know how many people are coming out of business and education because those skill sets are the tickets to set up businesses and educational beachheads where we can't get missionaries today? Do you know how many people that are retired at 20 and out and 30 and out that God is saying, you're not retiring, you're just, I'm just, you're just retreading because I got a whole new dream for you. And, and people's minds are being blown at the things they get to do for God as they move into retirement years. Do you know how many young adults are saying, God, you know, it's not about what degree do I get, but God, what problem in the world do you want me to be a part of the solution to? That's a better question. And what degree will help me engage in that dream of yours? God is calling all kinds of people. God, where does my hand go on the spear? The tip of the arrow, a pioneer teammate, administrative support, mobilization, finance, intercession. The great missionary Livingston said this, and it bothers me, so I'll let it bother you. He said, sympathy is no substitute for action. Sympathy is no substitute for involvement. With all hands on the spear, we can hit that bullseye. And Jesus can receive glory from the never reached in our world. We must be church. We must be global Christians with a global vision. Because our God is a global God. Let's just bow our hearts in prayer before the Lord. Father, we bow before you right now. And I just want to give a few moments of silent reflection with every head bowed. Please focus and listen to the Lord. God is calling. God is speaking. God is encouraging. God is challenging. God is convicting right now by his spirit. Where does my hand go on the spear, Lord? God is interrupting some lives right now. He's changing some career tracks. He's giving fresh vision. He's placing a Spain. The next thing he has for you to do in some hearts right now. Let's just give him a minute. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I thank you for this precious church of your planting, Harvest Ridge. Thank you for Pastor Kevin and Robin and their visionary leadership. I thank you that this is a mission-focused and gospel-centric church. Lord, it's my prayer that through this church and through every person in it, that a fresh chapter and fresh chapters are written in the story of God, to the glory of God, through Harvest Ridge and through every member, until the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. And it's in his precious and powerful name we pray. And all the church said together, amen. Amen. God bless you, Harvest Ridge.